Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you wrote the play Chicken and Biscuits. What are some other breakfast foods that inspire you? Oh my God! Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? Oh my God, guys! Jake has a podcast. What's up, everybody? My name is Jake Workman, and this is Oh My Pod, You Guys, a musical theater and pop culture podcast. You guys, so much has happened this week. I was so lucky to see not one, but two shows on Broadway. I talked about it a few episodes ago, but my friend Sarah Killo just took over for the role of Eva in Leopoldstadt on Broadway, and I got to see her first night as full-time Eva, and she was fabulous. If you're not familiar with the show, it chronicles the lineage of one Jewish family living in Vienna through generations. So it takes place over about 55 years in total. It's two hours, no intermission, and it's absolutely stunning. It's heart-wrenching and beautiful, and there are moments of such levity and happiness. It's, it's really quite something. I didn't really know what to expect, even just based on um, the Playbill image, but it was gorgeous and it really speaks to the sort of cyclical nature of anti-semitism that we unfortunately see (laughs) coming up again so if you haven't seen it i highly recommend it it is not one to miss the other show that i got to see which i was so beyond excited about was dancing at the music box theater essentially just a collection of bob fossey's most incredible choreographic works and let me tell you these dancers are Dan Sin, mama. It was gorgeous. And I have to give a special shout out to to one Colton Krauss. They are unbelievable. I saw them um, on Broadway in Cats as Tumble Brutus. And they are currently in Dancing and they do this very specific and special solo called the Trumpet Solo in the number Sing Sing Sing. And I mean, the movement is just iconic, but to see it through sort of a gender flipped non-binary lens was just so thrilling. I I couldn't believe it. And I was like, bitch, I want to do that. So Colton, you worked it out. Congrats to you. And congrats to everybody in the show. It, It just is absolutely stunning. I can't wait to see it again. And speaking of shows that I cannot wait to see, we got to start our Broadway world recap, honey. So much happened this week. First and foremost, Parade officially opened 
on Broadway. And our special guest this episode is in the show. Douglas Lyons will be with us soon, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear what he has to say. But yes, Parade officially opened on Broadway. I cannot wait to go see it. I have so many friends in the show, and I don't think I've ever heard uh, a Jason Robert Brown score on this level, you know, with this many musicians um, and singers. So I'm I'm really, really looking forward to seeing it and hearing the show. And um, the show was met with incredible reviews. The New York Times even called it riveting. So I'm I'm really stoked about this one. Next... We have to talk about a special memorial service that's going to be held for Anne Reinking um, on Monday, March 20th. So if you're listening on the day that this episode has come out, it's today. And it's going to be at 1.30 p.m. Um, at the Ambassador Theater. And it's open to the public. And I just think it's a really special way to honor such an icon and a theater legend. And I can't wait to go and just, you know, pay my own little respects and, and give my thanks to such a, an iconic performer and how special that it's at the ambassador theater where you know her legacy just continues to live on in chicago so yeah i hope um i hope to get to see a bunch of people there we love you annie we are also honoring another legend of the theater world by posthumously putting up his final work stephen sondheim's final work will receive a world premiere in the fall it's called here we are and it is slated for um, an off-Broadway premiere in September at The Shed, which is a performing arts space in um, Hudson Yards here in New York City. And I just think it's incredible that this person who already left such a huge stamp on the world and specifically on this theater community is still going to be able to <laughs> give us more without even being here. I think everyone is a teensy bit nervous about, you know, fiddling with someone's work when they're not here to... To defend it, but I think of all the people whose work we could be posthumously putting up, um, I think Mr. Sondheim would be would be excited to hear that we are. Next, we have some unfortunate Broadway news. I spoke a little bit about this show um, in a previous episode, but the new Broadway production of the play Room has been canceled. Um, unfortunately, a lead producer pulled out of of the show while they were still hard at work in rehearsals. Um, so sadly, Adrian Warren, Ephraim Sykes, and all the incredible people who were working on that show do not get to, to put it on stage for us. And, um, my heart goes out to them. I, it's sometimes a sad reminder that this is a business and, um, you can pour your heart and soul into working on something, but it, it could be taken away so quickly. And, um, I know how that feels having having been in a show running while the pandemic first came about and um, it, you know, was just ripped out from underneath us. So I, my heart goes out to all the people who are working on this show and um, I really hope that, that it's just a postponement and not a full cancellation because um, I think the story is really beautiful and I think that Adrian Warren would just absolutely knock it out of the park with this. So... If you're listening and you're a producer who has lots and lots of money, please <laughs> throw some their way because I think they deserve to put up this show. You guys, next we have to talk about the sneak peek that we got to see on Broadway World of Life of Pi on Broadway. This show looks absolutely breathtaking. The scenic design, the lighting, all of it looks unreal. The puppetry, if you don't know, this 
this stage adaptation um, was originally set in London's West End. And it's now jumped across the pond and is in previews on Broadway. And it's a stage adaptation of Jan Martel's novel, which obviously then became a really critically acclaimed film um, and is now being done on stage. And it looks just unbelievable. There's a, a tiger puppet and they're in a, in this boat and the stage looks like water. It just, I, I cannot wait to see this show in person. Just the tiny little sneak peek that we've gotten looks stunning. <laughs> and something else that looks stunning is Donna Murphy in Dear World at New York City Center. This show has been met with incredible praise. And it's always so unfortunate to me that the New York City Center shows only run for a week. I wish they even ran for like two weeks so it was more accessible and more people got to see them because these shows that they put up are just, I mean, stacked. Donna Murphy, Andrea Burns, my friend Ben Fankhauser, Christopher Fitzgerald, and Harada. I mean, there are so many incredible people in this show. So if you can catch it, it runs through this Sunday the 19th. So when this episode comes out, it's will already be closed. But I've heard nothing but incredible things about this production. And the production photos look wild. You guys, this has been the Broadway World Recap. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Oh my pod, you guys. I am so excited to introduce my next guest. He is a Broadway playwright a composer, a lyricist, and performer, and also a teacher. Please welcome Mr. Douglas Lyons. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. <laughs> uh, it's Monday. It's a day off-ish. So yes. It's nice. nice. Where are you calling yeah. from? I'm in Astoria, New York. Gorgeous. Yeah. Living the Broadway good. fantasy. Yes, and the train hell. Because the NW <laughs> is a trash bag. Okay? Trash a bag. Right. Yeah. Yes. The, the glamour, the glamour, truly, of <laughs> being in a Broadway revival and living in yeah. New York City. And like hoping that your train comes on time so you can make call. And then there's the <sighs> MTA like website that is like, the train is there at 150 and you get there at 147 and the train has already left. <laughs> so it's great. It's Rat great. Bastards. Yeah. Um, so tell me, where where was home for you um, before you moved to New York City? I am from New Haven, Connecticut, born and raised. Mm -hmm. uh, I was there till I was about 17 when I left to go to the Hart School um, to major in the musical theater. Yes, the Hart Schools. We have to yes. talk about it. We, we yes. share an alma mater. We, which... do. Yes, we do. <laughs> that was my, my path to, to get to meet you and get to know you. But um, 
I must say, shamelessly, that you have been such a role model for all of the people who have come out of heart um, after you. Um, and you are sort of like the, you know, the gold standard of the Broadway, like heart school graduate. You've just, you've done truly so much. So I am so lucky and, and honored to get you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Very yes. Sweet, very sweet. Yeah. So after your experience at Heart, well, let's talk about Heart. What was it like for you? Um, you know, I was shot out of a cannon a bit because I grew up in the church. Um, you know, I sang kind of since I was three years old, but I never had, you know, music theory and ear training and voice lessons. Like Sunday morning was my voice lesson. And so when I got mm. to musical theater camp school, um, I was a bit shocked, you know, uh, funny story. First day of classes, I like show up, you know, in high school, you would have your like first day of school. Look, I like had an outfit and then I Period. show up to the commons, um, for breakfast and all my classmates are in black. Uh, that's because we were supposed to be in black because <laughs> we had acting class. And so I had to go back and change. Like I had blacks, I had packed them, but I didn't read the syllabus you know what i mean like, like i was we're not gonna turn a look on the first day yeah i was like why are we not giving a look like what is this about? <laughs> um but no it was it was uh a, a shock to my system in the best way uh heart has such great you know dance and music and acting training i had never really acted in front of other people because mm. i got into theater so very late like the last minute of my senior year, like first semester, I applied to four schools, two were virtual auditions, North Carolina School of the Arts and then Heart, and I got into Heart. It was the only program I got into. And so I was so like, oh my goodness, like I don't know what I'm doing. I just like singing and like I had danced and taught <laughs> a little bit, but acting, like what do you mean? Like what is acting? I have no idea. Sure. Um, so I would say it was the perfect program for me. Mm. That's yeah. amazing. And that's yeah. so wild that, um, I mean, just obviously, like, knowing you now and knowing what you have done um, so far in your career, it's so interesting to hear that it was it was late in the game for you. Um, what what was, like, the key factor in, in you making that decision to be like, okay, you know what, I'm going to apply? So the national tours of Rent and Cats came through the Schubert Theater, um, and I would actually join the tour of Rent like three years later. Yes. From the day that I saw it, which is nuts. Um, and I, I was like, I was just aghast. I was like, oh my goodness, like they're singing and cats. I was like, they're kittens. I don't know why. Uh, this is strange, <laughs> but it's cool. And like, it's theatrical. You know, I was mm -hmm. just so, I was so enamored with it. Um, and it felt like, you know, I had been teaching tap and you know i had taken hip-hop and african stuff in middle school and so i've been dancing for a long time but not like ballet like my first ballet class was with ralph perkins in college Work. um shout out to ralph <laughs> yes uh, hi ralph so but but like musical theater felt like a great combination of all the things that i was interested in and so mm. yeah i like it was like september october i saw a poster of the heart school in the band room at my high school career high and I applied to NYU, Ithaca, North Carolina School of the Arts, and um, and Hart. And I did a monologue, like a Shakespearean monologue, on my like high school auditorium like stage. But I didn't know wh what beats were. I didn't even know what it was about. I was just like, yeah. I memorized this. I was huh? so green. Um, <laughs> I could not have been greener. But I had this curiosity, and then that 
manifested in getting into heart and the rest is history. Amazing. Yeah. And you truly have, you've done so much for current heart students and for heart grads. I, I feel like you've really um, just blazed an awesome path and it's so, I really am so um, just proud to get to know you. So I want to hear about you, you obviously went to heart as a performer, a, a, a musical theater major, and you went on to do rent and you also did um, the tour of, um, dream girls mm-hmm. what was there a point either during those shows or maybe during like the end of your time at heart where you were like i'm a writer how did you jump to that the writing didn't come until um so i got back from dream girls in like 2010 december mm-hmm. and then i moved to astoria and got into the original company of book of mormon i joined them after they had opened on may 2nd the tony nominations day which is insane wow. um and during my broadway debut um i was in a relationship that got very sort of bad for me mm-hmm. and i needed to flee the city and so i asked to go on the first national and on that first national um, my parents had just gifted me a guitar, which I still cannot play. And I met <laughs> Ethan Pactar, who yes. was the guitarist on the tour. And um, the heartbreak of that relationship turned into sort of healing myself with music. And then that healing became a collaboration with him. And so I started writing music first with Ethan. And it just sort of organically came about as something we could do in our downtime between shows, you know, after shows. Um, and then we would have like Marisha Wallace, who's now a West End star, Michael Kilgore, these folks who were in the cast sing our songs. Like, you know, can you come over and have a glass of wine and sing this new song? Uh-huh. Um, and that was the beginning. So it was really just exploration to begin. But I am so grateful for the path. Like I could not have seen it coming, um, but I don't know what I would be without it. Yeah. And I think um, being on the road sort of lends itself to you being left to your own devices in terms of like, I can't do anything else. Like I, I have to create things by myself because I'm, I'm on the road. Like there's no downtime that you have really other than like the travel and stuff. So like, that's a lot. Yeah. And there's something about having something that you can call your own. Like my word for 2023 is own. Mm. Um, to like own every part of myself and own the things that I've created and own what I want from the world. And so, you know, I encourage every artist, whether it's painting or photography or poetry to find what that other thing is so that when you're not, not, you know, when you're not employed and the phone is not ringing that you don't feel useless. And I think at that time, having done Mormon for at that point, by the time I left, it was over two years between Broadway and tour. Mm-hmm. Writing became my own little thing. It became a way to express myself and, you know, discover music again in a new way. Like I wasn't being handed sheet music. I was creating it, which mm-hmm. was really cool. So, yeah, I, it, it's always good, I think, to find a balance of your artistry. You're doing that right now with this podcast. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> exactly what you're doing right now. Yeah. 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 It's a good time. Well, so you, I have had the pleasure of seeing multiple um, productions uh, that you have created. Um, but one that I really am interested to hear about is Polka Dots. You wrote a children's show, and I got to see a production of it in, in West Hartford while I was at Hart. Um, and I was really taken by it. I, I had not met you yet in person. And so um, 
to have heard, you know, your name talked about as like a heart grad and then um, to get to see this, this show done in a professional setting, I was really excited. Do you want to tell me about um, where that came from? For sure. I, um, in like 2014, 2015, found this interview on YouTube of Felicia Rashad talking about growing up in the Jim Crow South and being this little black girl with a curiosity for the white-only water fountain. And one day in Houston, Texas, she went and tasted from the white-only water fountain. And she could have gotten in big trouble mm -hmm. at that time. And that really, that moment was so brave and so courageous. And it made me think of how stupid our racist past is and how we literally had water fountains that would divide races. Like, that is where America was. Right. And how children are often on the forefront of change. And it felt like a way to deal with water as an analogy felt like a way to deal with racism without terrifying kids, mm -hmm. but educating them so something like the division of water fountains could not happen again. And so thus, you know, became... Lily Polka Dot, who is the first polka dot of her kind, you know, her <laughs> skin is completely sort of covered in polka dots, um, very inspired by like Alphaba. Um, and Joe DeLude, who actually did the original Alphaba design on Broadway, did the first Lily Polka Dot production oh, yes. at Ivington. He designed that. Joe so, um, but yeah, Lily Polka Dot is moving into this town of all squares and she has this curiosity for the square sprinkler, but she's been told she can only have the polka dot pump. And so I really lifted that. Yeah. Um, and alongside Melvin Tunstall III and Greg Borofsky, we created this thing kind of in six months that had one reading and then was brought into production. Um, and then a year and a half later landed off-Broadway at the Atlantic and won mm -hmm. the Off-Broadway Alliance for Best Family show. Yes. A committee of all children chose the show as the winner, which is cool. And now wow. it's been done. All around the world, literally, there's been productions in Guam. And I'm like, okay, cool. Anything's Work. possible. Yeah. Let's own it. Ah, um, oh, that's so fucking fierce. So, yeah, Polka Dots is, was like the beginning, was like that button being pressed of like possibilities are endless. Yeah. Write your story, be inspired, um, and own it. And and so, yeah. That's so cool. And did you, did you anticipate writing specifically for kids or or for like a family audience or did that just sort of fall into your lap when you were inspired by that interview so i have three sort of lanes i live in which are family um polka dots peter pan mm -hmm. uh queer stories beau um yep. and then black stories which chicken and biscuits is also queer as well um my new play invisible etc so no family to me was always an opportunity that I feel like is so ignored in the theater. It's like, mm. we want new generations of theater makers and theater audiences, but we don't pay attention to the kids that are literally growing into the theater. Right. <laughs> um, and I wanted to create something that also felt like it had a bit of a bop ability to it, uh -huh. but it wasn't pandering to them being like, hi, little kids, how are you today? Yeah. But like, that's something that's a little bit like sticks and stones, you know, it has bounce to it <laughs> and energy. Yeah. Um, so that was the challenge. And then, you know, when you connect it again, you know, black work being one of my missions, that was another connector, like black history with family mm -hmm. seems like the perfect um, opportunity to tell the story. So, yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. And I think, so you mentioned um, Chicken and Biscuits, which was your Broadway playwriting debut. 
Um, yes. And you were nominated for a GLAAD Award for that show, which was so, so cool. I was like over the moon to, to see such praise um, for your work. What is it like to switch gears from from writing in like the family vein um, to a more adult, you know, just in terms of like language and themes, um, obviously like the queer and black narratives in that show are really, really prominent. What's it like to switch those gears? Yeah, I think, you know, the cool thing about being a writer in a way that as an actor, you're sort of confined to the imagination of the team that's looking at you Mm -hmm. as a writer, you can always reinvent yourself. And so, you know, Polka Dots, I think, was a reason why I got Fraggle Rock. I was in the writer's room of both seasons of Fraggle Rock. Yeah. And there's, you know, Fraggle is so amazing because it deals with very adult topics, but in a kid-friendly manner. That's Mm -hmm. just the legacy of the show. And so I've learned to run the spectrum of possibilities. And Chicken was very personal, um, inspired from personal things and just personalities in my family um and i am the intersection of queerness and blackness and so it felt like you know a way to talk about things that sometimes my community does not want to talk about Uh um and so it is an extension of me so i just have to obviously find the voice and the truth of the story and then i i play in the sand um and what's interesting about chicken is it was the first play i ever really wrote And it was one of the last things in sort of my lineup of work, but it was the first thing to go to Broadway. (laughs) So (laughs) in a way, I'm like, I'm excited for the possibilities of the future because I feel like I have grown as an artist Mm -hmm. um, and learned from that, but also have been reworking things prior to Chicken that people just have not even seen. Sure. Um, And yeah, but but Chicken was... I, I still can't believe it happened. I wish I could <laughs> lie and say, oh, yeah, well, I expected. I did not expect it. Mm-hmm. I was in shock, I think, the entire time. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was so fucking fantastic. It, I, I absolutely loved that show. What was the path like to get to Circle in the Square? I mean, that doesn't just happen overnight, you know, or like without a lot of work. Yeah, so the play was written in residence um, at the director's company in like 2018, uh, 2017, 2018. And then we had like four readings, um, one in partnership with the Billie Holiday Theater, the Frank Silvera Workshop, um, one with the Queens Theater, um, one with Front Porch Reading Series. And then the final reading was with some um, producers, Leah Michaelis and... E. Clayton Cornelia and Pamela Ross. And that got the attention of Queens to do this sort of world premiere production, which we had just mounted on March 6th, right before the pandemic hit. Uh-huh. So there were four readings. We had started Queens Theater production. During the pandemic, we teamed up with E59 to do a virtual production, um, a virtual benefit reading for the Next Wave Initiative, this Black scholarship program that I've started. And... Um, Right around that time, uh, I had been in conversation with Hunter Arnold, who's a huge Broadway producer. During the pandemic, I slid into his DMs because he followed me on Instagram. Period. And I was like, hey, do you read new works? Like, check out my sort of library of work. I sent him Bo and Chicken. And he finally got back. I mean, I would check in with him a lot, but he finally got back to me during the pandemic and was like, hey, I think we should talk. I'd like your work. And... um. 
during the spring of 21 because American Buffalo with some of their celebrities were not going to be able to come back immediately. There became a limited engagement opportunity and he had done Island there. Yep. Um, and so was like, Hey, I think, you know, there might be an opening possibility. And I was like, okay. All right. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> sure. Um, and then it became more and more possible. And then I think he, he told me on the train and I couldn't hear him cause I didn't get service. And then I was on the toilet. I think and he called back. He was like, it's, it's happening. But there were like stages because it was like the theater's owners, you know, the theater owners say yes. But then IATSE had to approve cause they had to load. So it was a whole thing. And like, uh-huh. I couldn't tell anybody. So I kept running into my friends being like, I think the show is going to Broadway. And they were like, what? And I was like, I know that's how I feel. Like, I don't know if I believe it either. Um, but yeah, there we were, like in June casting, and wow. um, I I am most proud of it because it brought new audience new audiences in. It has now become the second most produced play around the country this yes. season, and there are there was a middle school, not middle school, a high school that did the show, not middle school, God, not a middle school. There's a <laughs> high school that did a show, um, St. Charles High in Maryland, I believe they are, and. There have been multiple community theaters and professional theater. It's just like, I want the black women working. Yes. And the black women are working. Period. They sure are. Like, regardless to, you know, how it's received on Broadway and if it's not awarded or whatever, it's like the fact that the play is being done around the country is proof yep. that dreams are worth exploring. Totally. And so I'm, yeah, I'm really, I'm really proud of it. For and that, what, what a that. feeling it must be to to quite literally have the hand in providing those jobs and theatrical opportunities for people for now, you know, like you said, like across the country and across the world. Yeah. It's, it's legacy. And I think another attribute of being a writer is it is not selfish. It is not singular. You are creating work because it's going to end up employing designers and directors and actors. And like, there is an actress who's done two productions of Chicken and Biscuits, one in Jersey, and now she's in Florida. She's getting her equity weeks from the play. Yes, correct. And you would dig I'm like, that. I, let's go. <laughs> like, let's go. You know, I and so that really fuels me to write, honestly, is like being an actor, but also understanding how hard it is to be an actor. And so if I can be a conduit to like create work for actors, that too is a gift. Yeah, that's amazing. And you get to, you get to work with just so many different people I would imagine which is so cool I actually I had like just seen chicken and I was on the train and I like looked over and Norm Lewis was standing there (laughs) and he sort of caught eyes that like I was like oh I know who you are (laughs) and I was just Mm. like hey um I just wanted to say I just saw your show and like you know he was like the loveliest but I was like I um know Douglas and whatever and of course he was like god we all love douglas but yeah Yeah. how cool that you get to work with i mean just people across the across the board so you mentioned a little bit um about fraggle rock and you touched on Bo, but i'm wondering is there um a really big difference for you in writing style when it comes to something that you know is going to be tv film or did you write Bo with that in mind so Bo is inspired um, by a couple events. I was doing Beautiful on Broadway at the time, and I went to Rockwood downtown, and a friend of mine was doing 
a um, set. It was him, his wife, and a pianist, and he was just telling stories and then doing original songs. And he told a story about his grandfather that he had fallen in love with, who he lost. And I fell in love with his grandfather from just the story that he told us in that setting. And then he did this beautiful song. And so I had, after seeing Once, I was very inspired about creating an actor-musician show. I think actor-musicians are like quadruple threats. Like they yeah. deserve it all. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, with seeing my friend in concert once, um, I was like, how do we create something? And I had never written the book or a play yet for anything. Wow. So Bo actually is before Chicken and Biscuits. Chicken and Biscuits came after Bo. Okay. And I would get people. I was in residence at the director's company, and I would get people in a room, and we would read five pages and ten pages. And then I, like, had a mini presentation of a table read, and Ethan was there. And he hadn't said yes yet. He had not said <laughs> yes yet. Um, but after he was like, hey, man, I really like the stepfather character. Like, I, I think there's something here. And so that's where Bo began. Um, and we had two presentations in April and August of 2018. And then we bowed at the Adirondack Theater Festival in 2019. And a couple weeks later, we were in the studio recording the concept album with Sony Masterworks. Um, yeah. And then during the pandemic, we shot like a feature film hybrid capture of Bo mm -hmm. that has now gotten into multiple uh, festivals and yes. awards and things yeah that's what i was saying okay so so it wasn't necessarily on your radar of of like being recorded on film when you were creating oh at all but during the pandemic when everything shut down it was like we don't know if broadway's coming back uh-huh at all right and so it felt like hunter was kind enough to like support these artists at that time with the work of something that he thought had merit and i must say i, I mean i watched it a time or two in my living room for like sound feedback and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But then when we saw it at dances with films and we heard tears in the audience, I was like, Oh, we were onto something yeah. here. Yeah. So wow. I'm excited for the world to see it eventually. That's so cool. Um, yeah. So switching gears a little bit, you are currently in the Broadway revival of parade, which started at New York city center. I've t spoken a little bit about um, the sort of like, you know, drama around what happened during the first preview performance and and whatever but I'm really um I'm interested to hear how it has been working on such an important show in this climate. Yeah, I I said the other night I was like I feel pride when I'm on that stage. This is not just a another gig another contract, another credit. Mm -hmm. I, for the first time in my life, I really contemplated and sat with myself and meditated on even doing it um, for a multitude of reasons, like getting back into eight shows a week. And did I want to do that with my schedule? Like I like the flexibility of life. Um, and I almost did not. Uh, but we found a way to make it work. And I'm just so, I'm full. I'm full. Because I love Hello, Dolly. I love Rent. I mean, Rent has a little bit more impact, I would say. But Parade at this moment feels like a mirror to the world mm -hmm. to say you will not ignore your injustice. You will deal with it. And we will remind you eight shows a week. Uh, and that is so rich. It makes, you know, um, 
it feels like the art is a sword. Mm. You know, it, you can feel so powerless nowadays with the way that politics and Tennessee and these bills and things are happening. Yeah. It feels like doing this show is at least saying you will be held accountable for what you have done mm-hmm. in some way. America. Yeah. And so I'm like, I could I could do that for six months. <laughs> like, I could do that. I guess I can do that with my art, you know, that so I'm, I'm really... I'm I'm happy we we open in ten days, which is crazy. Yeah, it's been very rigorous schedule with like two weeks of rehearsal, one week of tech, other things that will be announced. Like it's been a lot, a lot's been going on, right? Um, but it's fulfilling. It is so fulfilling because it matters. It really does matter. Mm-hmm. And so I'm astonished, you know, to be working with. I remember driving around at the Hart School in my 1999 Blue Taurus. <laughs> Singing the opening to Parade, belting, and asking one of my voice teachers, too, could I sing the Old Red Hills? And they were like, no, I don't think you should. <laughs> but I was like, it's just so such good music. You know what I mean? Like, And to be in the room with Jason Robert Brown, it's just like, oh, dream, dreams are possible. Dreams. Are possible. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah. And I mean, I can imagine um, as a writer yourself, that must be an added layer of of like the storytelling and getting to work with the person who originally created this material. Um, have you found that having written multiple pieces at this point in your career, has that influenced the way that you approach um, taking on a, a character in performance? Well, yeah, you now, I think I now look at things and go, what was the intention of the writer? Hmm. And then what is the intention of my take on this work? Sure. And are they aligned? And can they meet in the middle? Or do I have to completely give over because my take is too wild from the original vision? Or am I shining light anew to the writer by bringing up this thing that I, you know, now I see in the work? Uh-huh. Um, I think there's a give and take, especially in this room, in the room that Michael Arden has created, where you feel you feel seen and heard and understood and it is not just go here and do this. It is, Hey, is there a reason why can we talk about why I'm doing doing that? You know, and there's an answer, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So the cool part is like, I I think when the phone would ring as an actor before it was like, I got to work, like, let's go be booked. And now it's like, as a writer, let me look through this script. What is this saying? <laughs> what is this saying? And right. is it something I want to say eight shows a week? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and then there's just also the appreciation for the craft of what they have created. The other night, I heard something anew. There's the usage of the word safe in one of the scenes. And then at the end of Act One, it's sung in a different way. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, uh, mind blown. I've yeah. done the show now, you know, for a while. But I was like, oh, my, safe. He's He said he's not safe. And then he sung about where he's safe. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, so the, constantly studying the craft of what you're a part of, too, I think, makes you a better artist because you're not just performing. You're dissecting it. Mm-hmm. I have to dissect what has made this thing brilliant. So hopefully I can find my own brilliance. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. so cool to hear. And you started the show um, at City Center. You started with that that group. I did. I did, did. Was there any sort of anticipation, or, or um, did you have have like hopes for it to transfer, or was that like 
a shock to you guys when when that was announced i i hadn't been on stage since march of 2020 i did five guys named mo at um formerly known as the westchester broadway theater Mm -hmm. and that closed and then the world shut down like two weeks later and so when i heard about parade I actually text Michael Arden. I was like, I played Jim Conley. It was my first lead or second lead, first main stage at heart. And I was like, I've done the part. Like, see me. I need to be seen for this. Um, and put it on tape, conversations. And I was like, and also, I'm going to throw this in the ring. I think there's another character, you know, that has a song. My new thing in my career is, like, just evolution. And, like, I've done ensemble, but, like, and beautiful i had a feature and so if i do another show i just need a feature i don't got to be the lead right but i do have to be voiced at some point in the play yeah and um i was like i'm open to that and then we had a conversation you know after my audition tape and he was like would you do this and i was like yeah for three weeks let's hit it honey right um <laughs> and because i just wanted to be in the room and yeah. to sing again and uh-huh. to you know be a part of that story and yeah, no, there was no anticipation. There was rumblings and a rollings. I had to do that. I had to do that joke. Um, <laughs> there were rumblings and a rollings of the possibility of Broadway. But, and it was so funny because we were like backstage, like, girl, did you hear? I don't know. I heard she got a hard contract. I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know nothing. Like, that was like the thing for a couple weeks. Sure. And then there was nothing. Uh, and then. There were some texts like, are you available? Would you even want to do it? And And then, yeah. And then we figured it out. Wow. And look at you now. And look at us now. Back (laughs) on the boards, baby. Back on those Broadway boards. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, So you touched on it a little bit, but um, you, you were in Book of Mormon in the ensemble. I was, so I swung Broadway. And then on the first national, I was the assistant dance captain and Madala, so I was in the ensemble. Yeah. Oh, work. Okay, so you are now in parade, telling this like really, really important story. In uh, you know, obviously, like there's like all of these different elements of of the story and like the intersectionality of the marginalization of the people that we're talking about in this play. What I'm interested to hear about is your experience in Book of Mormon sort of like playing into a a trope of blackness versus you using your blackness in this show to tell this story. Has there, I I just know that Book of Mormon has sometimes been met with scrutiny about the perception of the black people in the show. And I'm interested to, to hear what you think about that. For sure. I always think how people receive blackness from the lip of the stage is on them. I'm more interested in the playing and the integrity within what I choose to do in these black roles. Mm. So people will interpret Mormon for what they see, but there's a very specific line in Hasadiga where they say, if you don't like what we say, try living here a couple days. Watch all your friends and family die. Hasadiga Ibuai. And I remember that line being like, that is the underbelly of what this play is really about. Uh-huh. We're laughing about a lot of things. But to say, if you don't like this, come help these people. Right. And so that is what I grasp onto. Mm. Um, 
And also in the play, personally, I think what made it brilliant, you know, things have sort of morphed and things are not as timely because culture changes. And so what's appropriate sure. sort of changes. But I, the black for me, it was like a big pageant where the entire time the black folks were aware of what they were putting on. It was right. to make a point about religion and culture in general. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't to say this is literally how black people think. Right. It's actually, it's sort of meta. It's, y'all think we are so stupid that we will believe anything you tell us. Uh-huh. Is the layerism that I was looking at through it. Fierce. Um, so it, it's, again, like figuring out as a performer and as an actor, how you going to get through it eight shows a week so that it makes sense to you and your integrity. But I never will be sort of phased by how other people interpret if I know my specific reasoning behind the work has purpose. I'm mm -hmm. good. And then the check on clear. Y'all can figure out how you interpret it. <laughs> but I know what I'm playing. I know what it means to me. Uh -huh. You know? And so I think I think as artists, the interpretation is in your hands, not in the perception of the people not in the room. Wow. And that's that on that. <laughs> and that's the that on that. <laughs> and that's that on that. Amazing. Yeah. Well, you have, I mean just your hands in so many things, but you did hint at your newest thing that you're working on. Can you tell us anything about, um, is it called Invisible? Yes. So Invisible is written in response to a highly critically acclaimed play that was on Broadway a couple of seasons ago. Okay. Um, I'll let you figure out what that play is. I actually sure. said it publicly, so it's, it's slave play. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> and I, after seeing that play, actually in line with the conversation we just had about sort of intentionality and how things land, how it landed with me. I was like, I get the themes of the play. I get the brilliance. I get the hype, but also how do we allow black women to exist in the American theater without being raped, pillaged, hyperventilating on stage to make a point about American racism? Yep. Is there a world where we can have a conversation about racism, black women, sexuality sexual nature through comedy and giving black women literal superpowers in the story and that is what invisible is is the exploration of well what if we had a similar conversation but we turned some of the tropes upside down we went back in time uh, in time because they get high and they go on this sort of hallucination trip and we deal with conversations of race but through comedy wow that's and that's amazing. what Invisible is. Cool. So I've been working on it. Uh, it was commissioned by the Queen's Theater where Chicken and Biscuits had its world premiere. And it had workshops at um, the I Am A Theater in Los Angeles um, and recently in Boston at Front Porch as well. So. Work. That's so exciting. I cannot wait to, to get to experience it down the line. Um, do you have any interest in performing in your own works or, or directing your own works? Directing, yes. I would like to direct a production of Chicken and Biscuits at some point. Um, I'm putting that out there. Uh, <laughs> you heard it performing, here. Performing. Yeah, you're hearing it first here. <laughs> um, I don't. Uh, here's the thing. I love the theater tray. But theater, eight shows a week, forever, it's, it's just, it ain't it. I, I've, <laughs> I've been blessed to be working since I graduated, before I graduated college. But there was a span where I did eight shows a week, 
eight shows a week for 10 years. Uh, out of 10 years, I did eight shows a week for eight and a half years out of those 10. Yeah. And it's incredible. It's a blessing. I never want people to not hear that it's a blessing, but there's a cost and a time that you lose in life sacrifice. when you're performing oh, yeah. six. Yeah, there's a sacrifice when you're performing, you know, six days a week. And so I don't know. I, I think when I'm in my 40s, maybe I'll do like a what she went through um, or how <laughs> I came about. Um, but I'm, I'm really I'm interested in being a part of things that matter and then being behind the scenes, creating things that matter is kind of where I sit. I don't necessarily need to be the star. I need to be paid and I need to be happy. Gorge. Yeah. Well put. Well, Douglas, thank you so much for joining me on the pod. This was so fun. Um, can you tell the listeners where they can find you on socials? Yes, I am Douglas Sings on the Twitter and Chocolate Hipster on Instagram. Don't get it. I got twisted. that name during Book of Mormon. Yeah chocolate hipster <laughs> amazing well th- i'm like i said a million times in this pod i'm just so in awe of you and all of the work that you do so thank you so much for being here and i cannot wait to see what you do next yay thank you for having yay. me this is beautiful i love talking to artists yeah thank you thank you thank you for having me you guys that's it for another episode of oh my pod you guys Don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe anywhere you listen to the pod. Shoot me an email at ohmypodyouguys at gmail and follow the show on Instagram at ohmypodyouguys. Also, if you enjoyed Douglas's interview and want to hear a special extended edition, there is exclusive access to the show a day early and with special exclusive content only on broadwayworld.com. Thanks so much for listening. Talk soon. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.